Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, blackface blowback. I didn't consider it uh, a racist action at the time, but now we know better. Pictures and videos of liberal leader Justin Trudeau donning racist blackface and brownface on at least three different occasions shake up the campaign. Are his apologies enough? Are there more pictures? And what impact does this have on the election? NDP leader Jagmeet Singh joins us with his view on that and the ideas driving his campaign. And then, reaction to racism. What does the blackface scandal say about Justin Trudeau and his leadership? And what questions need to be asked now? Candidates join us to debate that. Plus, gun ban. It's time to end gun violence in Canada, and that's what a re-elected Liberal government will strive to do. Is the Liberal promise to suddenly ban assault weapons a genuine policy or just an attempt to change the channel from the blackface scandal? The Scrum will weigh in on that. Plus, pollster Nick Nanos joins us with how the shocking events of the last few days are shaping the campaign ahead. He's got new numbers out this morning. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. I'm disappointed in myself. I'm pissed off at myself for having done it. I wish I hadn't done it, but I did it, and I apologize for it. Well, nobody had Justin Trudeau in blackface and brownface on their political bingo card, but when Time magazine revealed that the Liberal leader had put on brownface at an Arabian Nights fundraiser when he was 29 years old at a private school in Vancouver where he was a teacher, well, the whole campaign changed. Trudeau went into damage control mode, telling reporters in an emergency press conference on his campaign plane that this was only one of two occasions. When I was in high school, I uh, dressed up at a uh, talent show uh, and sang Dale in, with, 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 uh, with makeup on. I obtained that blackface picture hours later and tweeted it out, but there was more video of Trudeau in blackface wearing what looks like a t-shirt with bananas on it. That emerged from Global News, undermining the Liberal leader's confession. So he went and apologized again, this time admitting there may be even more occasions of blackface, too many to remember. I think um, it is obvious that, that this is something that... Uh, was deeply regrettable. I am wary of, of uh, being definitive about this because the uh, recent pictures that came out, I had not remembered. So how does all this impact the campaign? To find out that and much more, our campaign leader interviews continue now with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Mr. Singh, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I got to just go back to that moment mm -hmm. when you saw first the brown face and then the black face and then the video of the black face. What was your reaction when you saw Mr. Trudeau doing that? Uh, first off, I was, I was shocked. Uh, I was first, it was brought to my attention when I was in a town hall, so I didn't see the images. When I saw the first image, it was jarring. It was more than I expected. Hearing it described and seeing it was very different. And then seeing the multiple images come out, I moved quickly from thinking about how it impacted me to thinking about the people around me. A lot of friends and people very close to me sent me messages about how it impacted them. I thought about all the kids growing up in, in this beautiful country that are going to see those images and then start to wonder, you know, what does that mean if the prime minister of the country can, can make light of their lived realities? What does that mean about their place in this country? And I was worried about that. Yeah, actually, even my kids, to be candid, came home and they said they were talking about it in class. The debate is, does Justin Trudeau have bad judgment or is he a racist? And I'm going to ask you, mm -hmm. does 
is he a racist? Well, I think that's not really the, the useful question to ask. Whether I think definitely he had bad judgment. There's no question about that. But really, it's about his impact, the impact of his decisions, the impact of his actions on people, and what that says about our country and what that says about people who feel now that they don't belong. It really has to be about the people as opposed well, to him. What does it say, though? Well, it says that you know, someone at the highest institution doesn't really understand the lived experiences of people. And then if you look at the pattern of behavior, we've got incidences as recently as last year where in private, Mr. Trudeau makes fun of activists who are saying our water is poisoned with mercury in Gracineros. And the thought that someone could make fun of people, and I've been to Gracineros who are, who are living with mercury poisoning, to me is just shocking and appalling. Now seeing the pattern of behavior, it's not as shocking. Maybe well, there's a very say? different... So if you're saying it's a pattern, if your argument is that this is a pattern that he's been masking, what are you saying? What is Mr. Trudeau? Who well, is he? Well, I'm saying there's two Mr. Trudeaus. There's the first apology, Mr. Trudeau, and then the second apology, Mr. Trudeau. Which one is the real Mr. Trudeau? There's also a in private Mr. Trudeau and a in public, and they're both very different. You are going to meet with him, apparently, in private to discuss this. First, do you accept his apology and his request for forgiveness? It's not me, it's not on me to accept that or on me to forgive him. It's on Canadians who are impacted by this. And it's really got to be about them. And uh, no one person can be proxy for all the people that have been impacted and hurt. So if he and asks, it's really their decision to make. If he says, uh, I, I want your forgiveness and I'm sorry, do you accept his apology? Mr. Shear says, I don't accept his apology because he was not honest in his first disclosure. Do you accept his apology? Well, again, it's putting too much emphasis on Mr. Trudeau because it's not about him and it's not about me accepting anything from him. It's about him showing his true self and what he believes in and what his values are and what Canadians make of that. And Canadians will decide. And they've got a clear track record. Not only has he made decisions that have shown that he doesn't get what people are going through and has made light of it, he's also recently made decisions that continue to give power and, and privilege and support to those at the very top that has hurt people everyone else. Uh, Mr. Singh, when you meet with him in private, uh, two quick questions. One, what will you say to him? What's the message you will deliver to him? Well, I've said really clearly that the conversation is something that Mr. Trudeau's office contacted my office requesting that Mr. Trudeau wanted to chat. And so I made it really clear. I don't want to be a part of any PR exp expedition to try to seek out exoneration. Uh, I would be willing to hear his sincere concerns if he wants to bring them up. And, and we'll have a frank conversation. But are you concerned? It's a campaign. Everything is political. He'll say, well, I've met with Mr. Scheer. We, I can't disclose it, but I've really dealt with this. And it looks like he's confronting it. And you become a political pawn in this. You, you're a validating factor that he needs. Well, I want to make it very clear. I'm not going to validate Mr. Trudeau. If he wants to have a conversation with me, it's his decision to do so. And I've made it really clear my conditions. I don't want to be used in any way. I'm not going to be a checklist on a list of things that he's done to try to seek redemption, uh, Canadians will decide that. And Canadians have a lot of evidence now to make that decision. Uh, Mr. Singh, you said after Andrew Scheer's comments about LGBTQ and uh, same-sex marriage that you, in a minority government, you would say, I'm just ruling out I could never work with Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives. Now look at Mr. Trudeau, the blackface, the brownface, SNC, the Aga Khan. Could you now work with Mr. Trudeau in a minority government situation? Well, I've only ruled out Mr. Scheer very clearly for very specific policy reasons. Uh, the fact that his policy seems to be very unclear around his candidates and around women's right to choose and around uh, same-sex marriage and LGBTQ communities uh, and climate crisis. So based on all these policy you know, 
uh, uncertainties that he's presenting, I've made it very clear I will not be able to support him. Okay, but go back to Mr. Trudeau. Does the blackface, brownface, and other issues, these scandals, preclude you working with him? Or if there is that situation, you'd say, you know what, I could still work with Mr. Trudeau despite all that. Uh, what, I, what I would say to that is that with respect to going forward, if anyone wants to work with me to bring in place universal medication coverage for all, or the dental care plan that we're really proud of announcing that will cover all Canadians who aren't covered, who earn less than 70000 I'm prepared to work with people who want to work with me. Okay, so this is not a disqualifying uh, lapse in judgment to you, this scandal. Uh, for me, what I want to make clear is there are certain things that are going to help Canadians out. And if there's people who want to work with me to make that happen, I'm prepared to sit down and have a conversation. Do you agree with Andrew Shear's assessment that Justin Trudeau's lost the, quote, moral authority to govern? That's what he says. But if you're still prepared to work with him, do you think he hasn't? Well, I'm running to become prime minister, so I'll okay. take the support of anyone who wants to work towards goals that'll improve people's lives. Uh, in terms of Mr. Trudeau's lack of judgment, I think that his policy decisions, the fact that he gave $14 billion away to the wealthiest corporations to buy jets and limousines is a lapse of judgment. The fact that he continues to allow so many Indigenous communities to be without clean drinking water is a lapse of judgment. And the fact that he uh, picked the pockets of students to the tune of $3 billion by profiting off of student yeah. debt that's a lapse of judgment. Okay, we're going to get to that. But one last question on this, this particular issue that's dominated the campaign. What if Mr. Trudeau's now said he's not sure if there are more pictures of him in blackface or brownface? He won't say the number. If more pictures emerge, then what, Mr. Singh? Well, we have, to, we have to have a very serious discussion as a country about what that means for someone holding the highest office of the land and how that impacts Canadians, how they're going to look at themselves and think that, you know, the policies that have made their lives even more difficult, maybe that's informed by the fact that someone holding the highest office doesn't understand the struggles they go through, doesn't understand how severe and serious racism is or systemic racism so is. So you don't write it off as youthful indiscretion. Someone said to me, oh, well, he was young, he was 29, I mean 29, but in high school. You don't write, you don't buy those excuses. Well, I mean, I've spoken with teachers who say that an educator um, being in that context should know the impact of these things. And really, the impact of those things are real. I had a meeting yesterday with a lot of young people, young leaders, and they're saying that, you know, seeing this makes them worried about the rise of more uh, white supremacy. If the prime minister can make light of people for their color of their skin or their lived experiences, why, why would that stop someone else from saying, you know what, we can judge people based on who they are or judge them based on the color of their skin or their sexuality or their identity? It's going to embolden people who are already putting out these right, ideas that are divisive. to white supremacy. That's, that's powerful. All right. I'm just saying, hang on. i got to take a break here. When we come back, I want to dig into some of the policy issues. Despite all that scandal, there's a lot of policy. National pharmacare, national dental care, affordable housing, free tuition. There's lots going on, and I'm going to dig into that with Mr. Singh and part two of our leadership interview. Stay right here with Question Period. <laughs> Welcome back to Question Period for part two of our interview with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Now look, while the blackface scandal has taken over the campaign, there are real policy promises being made that require deeper discussion. The NDP has put forward promises to do things like create a national pharmacare plan, offer free dental and hearing care, implement a wealth tax on people with net worths over $20 million, plus a pledge to build more affordable housing. So let's find out more about that. Welcome back, Mr. Singh. Great to have you here. Let's start with that list. National pharmacare, free dental care, hearing care, tuition. People might say, 
wow, you know, every day's uh, Christmas here with the NDP, how are you going to pay for it? Well, it's really a matter of choices. I'll give you a couple examples. We talk about the, the dental care plan that we want to put forward. Dental care, for all those who earn less than $70,000 who don't have coverage, we're going to cover them. That's 4.3 million Canadians. Right now, there's so many people that put off getting the dental care they need. That means their teeth get worse and worse. They become more and more unhealthy. They end up in the emergency room. It's, it's horrible. So what we're saying is that, that plan would cost $856 million. Now let's put that up alongside the decisions that Mr. Trudeau has made just last year alone. He's committed to $14 billion, giving that away to the wealthiest corporations in the fall economic statement for corporate jets and limousines. He bought a pipeline for $4.5 billion. He waived corporate loans to the tune of $6 billion. Already, just in those three commitments, that's over $25 million, billion of spending. That would 25 times over pay for our plan to cover dental care. So it's a clear contrast. On top of that, we wouldn't make those decisions. We wouldn't make those choices. We would choose to invest in people. On top of that, we're talking about revenue. We're saying, let's put in place a, a wealth tax on the super wealthy. And we're going to make sure that the super wealthy pay their fair share. Yeah, this with is for 1%. people, 1% of anyone who's got a net worth of over $20 million. That's How right. much does that bring in? So we've got the PBO looking yeah. at it, and they're ranging between, uh, within the first year, immediately about $5 billion. Uh, but over a period of time, it's going to raise $70 billion, according to the PBO. Yeah, how do you stop wealthy people if that happens? It's what they call the bleed. Thanks a lot. I don't want that tax. I'm out of here. And now they're, you got they think, oh, gosh, the NDP's here. We're going to have a higher corporate tax. They're taxing my wealth on the back end. I'm out of here. Well, for those who have a fortune over $20 million, what we did is we worked with the PBO and found out that with a 1% tax on the wealth over $20, billion, or $20 million, it is more costly to move it out. So we specifically chose a number which it would cost them more to shift their assets. But the PBO, to be fair, I read his report, he said that you, there is a concern about people leaving. No, uh, to be very clear, the percentage that we chose, it would cost more to, lose, to move the money. So it's a very specific amount that would be more costly for those folks who have more than $20 million to move that money. So we're saying this is actually going to work. We're going to have enforcement in place. This is going to ensure that we actually get when the money. When do you balance the budget? Is there a balanced budget in an NDP government? Well, we're going to take the budget very seriously. And that means looking at investments in people and revenues to pay for it. But we're not going to run a deficit like Mr. Trudeau did just to give billions of dollars to billionaires. I know, but you know, do you that's, balance, that's a very like different a five-year plan? Do you balance it? Tom Mulcair last time around said he was going to balance the budget. Do you have a plan to ever bring it to balance? We have a plan to take the budget very seriously. And that means not wasting money on giving okay. it to billionaires. And that means investing in people and having the revenue to pay for it. Let me, uh, so you didn't use the word balance. Let me just talk about Quebec. You've made big promises in Quebec. And I, and I understand why. Under Jack Layton, there was 59 seats in Quebec. Now you've got 14. The polls say that you're in danger of losing more. You've got to buttress Fortress Quebec. But here's what you've done. It looks to me, and you tell me, like you're playing footsies with the Nationals. You want uh, the Nationalists. You want to withdraw, allow a Quebec government to withdraw from federal programs, but they'll still get financial compensation. You want them to have a veto over federal projects like a pipeline if it has an impact on the environment. You want to give more money for the controversial language law bill 101 for federally regulated companies. Why are you, it looks like you're, you're sucking up to the national, nationalist vote in order to save your political future there. Is that true? What we're saying is that we recognize Quebec as unique, and, and I'm proud of that. There's a beautiful thing that we've done here in Canada with uh, asymmetric 
uh, federalism, which recognizes the unique, distinct nature of Quebec, and I'm proud of that. And that's something that Jack Layton began with the Sherbrooke Declaration. I wanted to build on that and, and build out some more specifics around what we can do to work together and where we should give more authority over but Quebec. But, to be fair, Section 91 and 92 of the Constitution separate federal and provincial powers. In B.C., B.C. said, I want to be able to, we want to regulate uh, the pipeline on Trans Mountain because of the environment. The B.C. Court of Appeal unanimously said, no, they upheld that's federal jurisdiction. You want to give Quebec an authority that B.C. doesn't have. Why? Well, what we would do under a new democratic government is we wouldn't impose any project on any province. We don't believe in imposing projects on B.C. or any province. And that's the way to move ahead. We know that if, you, if you're imposing projects, they're not going to go ahead. They're going to be challenging so court. Not, they're going to be challenging. They're going to be challenging court. They're going to be challenging court. They're going to be challenged in court. And what happens is they're not going to move ahead. So what we need to do is make sure that if you want to move ahead with a project, you've got to have social acceptability. You have to have buy-in from communities. And I believe in that. I, I understand that. But but the courts have just upheld federal jurisdiction. The courts are how we, we deal with this. Why would you give Quebec a veto on that? Again, I'm, that would give Quebec a veto that no other province has. With Quebec, I, I absolutely believe in giving Quebec unique powers. And that's right. something that I'm, I'm proud of. That's, that's a normal thing, given the asymmetric federalism. But I wouldn't impose any projects on any province, because that is not the way to move ahead with any project. That's not uh, the way to move ahead uh, with a country where we want to build unity and build people right. moving together. I know I got just a couple seconds. People say you haven't, you, you talk about championing civil rights, but in Quebec, again, Bill 21, the secularism bill, uh, you said you're against it. Why, if you were in government, would you join a court challenge against that? Right now, there's a court challenge going on, and I don't want to interfere with that court challenge. It's a very important court challenge, and I support it. I support the right to be able to challenge that in court. I'm also campaigning in Quebec, and I'm going to Quebec and saying to people in Quebec, look, I'm a guy that grew up in Windsor. I fell in love with the French language. I believe that you should build laws that unite us. This is a divisive law. Me being in Quebec and saying, let's build together on fighting climate so crisis. So you called it discrimination. It walk is. the walk. It then is. why don't you challenge it in court? I'm going to Quebec right. and meeting with people and saying, listen, right. we can build a better country when we work together. We can build a better country when we work together towards tackling things like climate crisis right. and the housing crisis. That's a powerful way to show people, let's work together. Uh, Mr. Singh, there's so much more I could talk about. There's a long campaign. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, there's lots there. Lots of policy, lots of issues. I really appreciate Mr. Singh coming and to join us. But coming up, the blackface scandal still having an impact on the doorsteps. Or is it? How much damage has this done to Justin Trudeau? We did invite Liberal leader Justin Trudeau on the program. He declined. So we've got three candidates standing by to debate. Stay right here with Question Period. <laughs> have always acknowledged that I come from a place of privilege, but I now need to acknowledge that that comes with a massive blind spot. I have dedicated my leadership and my service to Canada to try and counter intolerance and racism everywhere I can, uh, but this has been a uh, personally um, a moment where I've had to reflect on the fact that um, Wanting to do good and wanting to do better simply isn't good enough, and you need to take responsibility uh, for mistakes that hurt people who thought I was an ally.
Apologies have always been part of the Trudeau arsenal. This is different, clearly. This time, Justin Trudeau is facing a crisis that goes to the very core of his political future. The emergence of pictures and videos of Mr. Trudeau dressing in blackface and brownface as a teenager and then in his late 20s and worse, his admission that there could be more raises troubling questions. Why was he so silent about this for so long? What exactly does he mean when he says he was blinded by, quote, layers of privilege? Are his apologies enough to earn the forgiveness of Canadians? Let's bring in candidates to find out. Omar Al-Gabra is a Liberal candidate in Ontario. Tim Upple is a Conservative candidate in Alberta. And Jenny Kwan is the, an NDP candidate in British Columbia. Good morning to all of you. And I'll start with you, Mr. Al-Gabra. How do you trust your own leader now when he's admitted that he had these racist instances, but he only admitted them after he was caught? He didn't mention the third time when he initially apologized. He's broken the law twice, according to the Ethics Commissioner. How do you still trust your own leader? Uh, good morning, Evan, and thanks for being on your show. Uh, look, I am very disappointed in that Justin Trudeau, and I think one image is too many. And I feel that uh, Mr. Trudeau has, uh, uh, has been uh, showing his vulnerability and has expressed his uh, deep regret uh, to Canada uh, about that image. Uh, but you ask me how I still have faith in Mr. Trudeau. I tell you why. Because I've been working with him for many years. And I have never seen a leader, a Canadian leader, or frankly a world leader, who has been standing in the corner uh, of visible minorities, who have been vocal about defending uh, the rights of visible minorities, who have been calling out racism and, 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 and subconscious uh, bias uh, like no other. And, and not only speaking out against it, but implementing policies. So I tell you, when I faced racism every once in a while, who was in my corner? It was Justin Trudeau. All and right. millions of Canadians know that about him. But now you're not, he's not just standing up for visible minorities, he's dressing up like them, and that's where the problem lies. Tim Uppo, what was your reaction when you saw the videos and pictures, and do you accept his apology? You know, I was absolutely shocked, um, beyond disappointed. It was kind of like a punch to the gut to uh, see these images and then the video. I honestly took like, I took a whole day before I even responded to it because you know, this is something that uh, people like myself and many other Canadians deal with. It's a, uh, you know, it's a part of our reality. Um, whether you're dealing with racism in a, in a professional setting or on the playground, um, this is something that uh, you know should not be mocked. And then to see the prime minister, um, you know, to to be in that position to, uh, you know, he was a teacher, right? Like, let's not forget about that. When he did this, he was a teacher at a school. So um, this wasn't so long ago that he was, a, you know, just a teenager part. He was a teacher. And, and then he came out and he lied about it, about there being more, more you know, pictures or video about it. Um, so I, beyond uh, disappointed, and I think this really goes to his character, where he's lied about his campaign promises, he's lied during the SNC-Lavalin scandal, and now he's lying about this again. Um, do you trust this person anymore? And, and you know, when I'm going to the doors and people really aren't, they're just saying that this, you know, this person is not, uh, you know, doesn't have the credibility or the moral authority to be prime minister. All right, let me bring in Jenny Kwan. What about you? What's your reaction to this? And, and do you accept his apology? Well, like all Canadians, I think when they saw those images, 
uh, we were dismayed. I was dismayed. I was absolutely stunned uh, to see that the Prime Minister would dress up as a brown face, as a black face, uh, not on one occasion, not on two occasions, on three occasions, but perhaps uh, even more. He couldn't even remember whether or not there's been other instances, instances. I think that speaks to the fact that I think he did this as a practice almost routinely, right? Uh, I think that uh, the other disturbing thing about all of this is that he didn't actually disclose this information in 2015 when he was vetted as a candidate. And so you have to ask that question, why didn't he disclose? He said he was embarrassed about it. Uh, and you know what? Th that process of vetting is actually up to the individual to be forthright and to bring that information forward based on trust. And the fact that actually he didn't share that information, what does that say about our prime minister? I think that for all of us, who have experienced racism, discrimination, and those of us who continue to experience that. Uh, this is such a troubling situation. And underneath all of this scandal, the blackface, brownface scandal, what is at issue? The policy issue here is about racism and discrimination. It is about our basic human right. And so from that perspective, I have to bring us back to this. Look at Canada, our country actually implemented colonization, right? We discriminated against indigenous peoples. We have the missing and murdered indigenous women's and girls situation. Why? Because all of that is rooted in racism. So we need to actually address this. And if you're a uh, leader of your party, our prime minister have these blind spots. His privileged uh, uh, situations created these blind spots. What does that mean? Well, so let me bring that to country? Omar Al-Gabra. I mean, the conservatives have said he's now lost the moral authority, they've said it before, to govern. Uh, Jenny Kwan saying we can't trust him. Well, again, a lot of Canadians want to know answers to those questions. What do you say to them? So, Evan, I understand my colleagues want to confuse things, and I'm not here to rationalize or defend what There's happened no confusion 20, here. He 25, admitted 25 years racist. ago. Uh, what I'm, I'm uh, you know, all of us, at least I can speak for myself, have said something or done something 20, 30 years ago that I regret today. The question is, what have we Omar, you haven't done as something individuals like this. learned from Sorry. that experience? What uh, I would like to ask but, but I'm people interject is here why minute, is his leader has not apologized today for associating with white supremacists, for associating, for guys, and this is going back uh, to the liberals. Look, look, look at there's the number. Hang, 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 hang on, hang on, I can't hear you all. Everybody else, hey, guys, not talk about their own okay, hang on, guys, this I can't hear you all. Just a second, just a second. Let me go, Tim, up and then Jenny. Tim. You know what, Evan, this is what yeah, the Liberals' whole campaign is based on, and maybe we have an opportunity here to, to actually talk about issues, because their whole campaign was based on pointing fingers at everybody else, wagging their finger at everybody else, and not talk about their own record. I was hoping that because of these videos and these racist pictures, that we'd actually have an opportunity to say, okay, let's talk about real issues. Let's talk about um, the, the Liberal record. Let's talk about your deficit. Let's talk about what you've done to Alberta and I'm decimated sorry. jobs I'm sorry. in the I'm economy here. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to here. cut in here. But okay, unfortunately, they're going back to doing issue. the exact yeah. same thing. Okay, Jenny, go ahead. Jenny I'm Kwan. sorry. I'm sorry. What I just heard is is to suggest that somehow this is not a real issue. I'm sorry. This is a real issue. Racism and discrimination oh, is a real, a real issue here in Canada. And the other issue is it's not just about the prime minister. It's more than that, right? We just uh, I just saw in a news piece today a former advisor for the Liberals in the Foreign Affairs uh, Ministry quit his job. Evan, uh, and he quit his minister. job. Just, just a second. Let Jenny Kwan finish. Because he felt that there is a pervasive 
discriminatory practices within the ministry in the sense that you know people use these words like the brown file you know and he, he at one point he used to work that he felt he was being white spleened by people there was okay, white so spleening going so let me on this is happening today and that is a real issue to suggest otherwise that this is not a real policy issue i'm sorry you're absolutely wrong uh, last word to omar al-gabra can you respond to that please Sure, Evan. There has never been a prime minister who's been challenging the status quo on real discrimination. It's true. Millions of Canadians Except face for discrimination and stereotyping every day at work. And the person who's How been challenging the status quo, who's the person who's been making many of us uncomfortable because we are, who's asking us to test our own biases, has been Justin Trudeau. And nobody in Canada believes that Justin Trudeau today nobody in still Canada believes Justin Trudeau what anymore. happened 20, 30 years ago. And yes, he regrets it. And yes, I'm never going to rationalize it. But, I, but Mr. Trudeau has a tremendous record that right. many Canadians look up to. Uh, I, I got to leave it there. This debate is going to happen on the doorsteps across the country over the next month. Obviously, it's a very key issue. We'll be picking it up. Uh, Omar Al-Gabra, Tim Uppel, and Jenny Kwan. Uh, always good to have the three of you on the program. Coming up, though, we've got new poll numbers just out this morning. Has the blackface and brownface scandal changed the campaign? Pollster Nick Nanos joins us. He'll reveal those numbers. The scrum is stopping by. Lots to come. Stay right here with Question Period. I regret it deeply. I, I'm deeply sorry that I did that. I do believe that he's not fit to govern this country and that he's lost the moral authority to govern. Well, it's troubling. I mean, it's really, it's insulting. Expect the unexpected. That has long been the rule of political campaigns. There are bozo eruptions, lies, world events, like remember the body of young Alan Curdy on the beach that transformed the last campaign in 2015. And yes, there are even policies. All those can change an election campaign. But no one expected photos and videos of Justin Trudeau in blackface and brownface. Liberals have long argued that Trudeau is on the right side of history on key issues like climate change. But too often is he also on the wrong side of judgment. What has the impact of this been? Let's bring in the scrum to find out. Richard Madden is a reporter for CTV News. He's covering the campaign as our truth tracker. Venmala Subramaniam is a reporter for the National Post. She's here in Ottawa with Craig Oliver, CTV's chief political commentator with his patented wave. And our special <laughs> guest this round is CTV pollster Nick Nanos. Great to have everybody here. What, what a wild Great. week. And, uh, and, and frankly, an emotional powerful week. Uh, Nick, you got new numbers out this morning. What I what's been the impact of the blackface brownface scandal? Well, the, the blackface brownface scandal has shaken things up. This morning, the, li the liberals were behind by three points, but yesterday they were down by five. So think of it this way. If you're a liberal, you are clutching your chest because for the last four years, you've had the upper hand on the ballot. And this controversy has shaken loose voters and right now they're looking at the conservatives who are trying to consolidate things. Rich Madden, let me go to you. You're our truth tracker and one of the big things is goes to the core issue of truth. Did Justin Trudeau tell the truth about the number of times he donned blackface or brownface? That's gone to the core. What struck you about yeah. this scandal? Well, really, Evan, it, the fact that it took Trudeau really two days to not only explain and admit what he did, it took two days for him to explain why it's wrong, to really justify uh, why he's sorry, and to really give context behind why he did it. Uh, the fact that he 
explained that his own privilege, his own class, made him tone deaf and insensitive. Uh, but ultimately, Evan, he owned up to it. He admitted it. And I found that very refreshing considering I'm usually in Washington where chaos and scandal are taken right. to a whole new level almost every day. Evan Mallow. So I did not find it very refreshing. Um, I, I got to say my first thought was this is exactly the Justin Trudeau I thought was the Justin Trudeau. I think he basically exhibited a level of privilege and just deep, deep ignorance of people of color, of, you know, no recognition of his class at all, of where he came from. And I think that's what motivated him to do what he did. And so for me, that really came out. For a long time, we've been looking at him as this kind of champion for equality, champion for the underclass. And right. now you kind of just see him as who he is, you know, and I, th that's what I really felt, actually. So you I felt, saw it. actually, it was revealing. Craig, what about Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Well, look, it's not just a few days it took him to uh, start talking about this and going on his confessional uh, apology tour. It took him 18 years to get around it. He knew this was all sitting there. Yeah. Uh, the Liberal Party has vetting committees, green light committees. All of that time, he wasn't telling his own party about this. And, you know, I think these kind of confessionals would be taken more seriously uh, if it wasn't for the fact that until he got exposed, until he got caught, he had never told anybody about this and he knew that his career as a vaudevillian, uh, basically the master <laughs> of disguise, was all out there. Uh, uh, Evan, I want to jump in that Craig makes a really good point because to me the deception was a big factor in this. So he came yeah. out the first time, he said, I'm sorry, he named one other time that he did this. Yeah, he said he did blackface Absolutely. in high school. Absolutely, blackface right. in high school. And then 12 hours later, you wake up in the morning and you see global news and he's prancing around in a lawn, black paint on his face and afro. And he didn't say he did that. And then when he's asked, he doesn't tell you how many times he's actually done it. He says he can't remember. So for me, I felt, you know, as a voter, you would question, you know, how much can I trust you, right? Like, it feels a little bit, like, crafted, like so you, you deceived me. you thought there's a credibility me. gap. Uh, you, I know, you know if I can jump in here, Evan, I, I mean, I was try, if I can just pick up on what I was trying to say before, you know, in the U.S. And, and around the Western world, Trudeau has this progressive brand as this woke prime minister who's really in touch with these left-of-center values that many progressives feel is in short supply in the Western world. And so when he, this is exposed uh, and Trudeau has to, be, has to be forced to apologize for it repeatedly, that's why, that's what I think has really damaged his global brand, and that's why... You know, Canada doesn't get a lot of front-page news around the world, but he was front-page news from the New York Times all the way to the U.K. So, uh, you know, if anything, this has damaged his credibility on the world stage. But let, we all talk about that, but is it playing out differently, Nick, in different parts of the country? Because the world stage is one thing I get, but we're in a campaign, and this is where they're trying to find a path to victory. How is this playing out on the ground in well, different parts of the country? Well, let's face it. Justin Trudeau is a polarizing figure. People either do not like him or they like him. There's no middle ground. So for those Canadians that don't like him, this is a validation, just another validation on why they want change. And for those that do like them or did in the past, there's got to be major disappointment. But when we look across the country in the province of Quebec, we're seeing the Liberal numbers go down. We're seeing the bloc go up. The Conservatives are doing better than they have been in the last while. In the West, they are fired up. But you know what? People in the West were fired up ahead of this mm -hmm. controversy. And in all of this, yeah. the Liberals have no motivating message. 
no reason to say to Canadians, this is why you should elect us. They're trying to find one, uh, but part of the problem here is uh, they have given license now uh, to Canadians to take another look at the NDP. Well, is that uh, they've right? electrified so that campaign. So let's just quickly shift. Uh, how has this affected uh, the opposition? You've got Jagmeet Singh, who joined us on yeah. this program. Uh, he, his response was roundly seen as authentic, and, and it was widely praised. What's the impact of this, just purely politically, uh, which is hard to separate, frankly, but on, on the opposition? I, I think it's actually really interesting, because if you look at the ridings in the GTA that have high visible minority <coughs> voters it's it might be surprising to a lot of people specifically maybe white people that some brown and black people are not offended by this they are liberal champions their parents were brought in because of Pierre Trudeau's multiculturalism act and they just have a sense of allegiance and you know we're a homogenous group we're not just one and so I think that that to me that might not swing voters to the NDP liberal leaning left-leaning voters right. to the NDP so much I, I mean rich that's that's interesting right because a lot of people say this shows bad judgment but it maybe he's not quote racist and that that's I've heard that sentiment Richard uh, how does this impact the opposition yeah. both Mr. Shear and Mr. Singh well I think what we saw Jagmeet Singh the way he handled it he tried to make it a teachable moment uh, whereas Shear really hammered home that Trudeau uh, is just uh, it, it, it just confirmed uh, if you the conservative bias if you don't like Trudeau well this will continue to put you in that corner uh, I find Singh had this platform to talk about race, talk about divisions, uh, and really he just is hoping to have this conversation that, let's face it, you know, there's this feeling, especially when you're living south of the border, that Canadians have this smug superiority uh, to the Americans. And guess what this exposed? It exposes that there are troubling issues here in Canada, just like the U.S., yeah. uh, Singh is taking it much differently than Shear has been. Uh, last word, Nick. There have been a few good days for Singh, but he's got to watch out about getting crushed by strategic voting, because what do we learn through this? The Conservatives can win the election. And that's what this is probably going to come down to. Well, for Mr. Shear, obviously, this is a moment. He's got a lot mm -hmm. of momentum, but as you say, maybe now the strategic vote play, we've seen that in every single election. <laughs> All right, Nick, thanks so much. That's Nick Nanos. Uh, uh, appreciate that every day. We are tracking uh, the polls with Nick, but coming up next, the Liberals say gun crimes are up, but their new gun control strategy doesn't include a handgun ban. And is this all just a channel changer from the blackface scandal? The Scrum is back. We'll discuss the gun control issue with special guest Bill Blair and the Scrum. Stay right here with Question Period. <laughs> We know you do not need a military-grade assault weapon, one designed to kill the largest number of people in the shortest amount of time, to take down a deer. Well, after the border security and organized crime reduction minister appeared on this very program in the spring and said the federal government wasn't ruling out banning handguns, the liberals have now just released their long-awaited gun control strategy. But spoiler alert, the liberals aren't looking to ban handguns. Instead, they want to work with the provinces to give municipalities the power to ban them if they choose. But what they are proposing is, they say, a sweeping set of measures, including banning quote, military-style assault rifles like the AR-15. they got to define that. A buyback plan, strengthening regulations around who gets to own a gun. 
So will the Liberals plan to, uh, without a ban, do enough to keep Canadians safe? And how much is this going to actually cost? To talk about that, the scrum is back. Richard Madden is in Toronto. Van Mala Subramaniam is here in Ottawa with CTV's chief political commentator. Craig Oliver, our special guest for this round, is the former border security and organized crime reduction minister and liberal candidate in Ontario, Bill Blair. Great to have uh, you back on the program, Mr. Blair. And the Scrum is back. Um, your party has just announced this, what, uh, a couple days after the blackface, brownface scandal. Is this essentially just a way to change the channel on a very controversial topic like gun control, which you've waited and waited, and boom, the timing is a channel changer? Evan, I've been working on this for well over a year, and quite frankly, I've spent decades of my life trying to keep communities, my city, safe from gun violence. And, and so uh, and I, I spoke to you earlier this summer and told you that we would be bringing forward measures and, and during the campaign. We're in the campaign, and that's exactly what we've done. I also want to clarify something. We're bringing forward very significant new measures for the secure storage of, of, of handguns, restricted weapons. Right now, they don't have to be secured in anything but a, a, a locked container. We're, we're going, we're, under these new regulations, it'll be required that they be stored in a safer vault. And, and, and what we're saying is that we'll work with cities, and, and cities may have additional risks and vulnerabilities and concerns that can be addressed by also defining where those firearms can be stored and perhaps stored essentially at, at, at a range, which is the only place they can be legally used. Those measures are intended to make it far more difficult for those guns to end up in the hands of criminals because a significant portion of them are being stolen. We're going to stop that, and one of the ways to prevent theft is to more securely store those right. weapons, and that's part of the measures we're putting okay, in place. Okay, yeah, I want to dig into more, but Craig, I want your response both mm -hmm. on the politics of this and the substance. Right. All of this gunplay we're seeing in Canadian big cities uh, is really a political play for the Liberal Party. Uh, they're trying to put a cleavage between themselves and the Conservatives, who are seen as pro-gun, uh, and be supported by basically a coalition, as they would like to see it, of progressive parties. And so there you have the Liberals leading this coalition, and they're saying to people, be careful. If you vote NDP, if you vote Green, you are splitting the progressive vote, and you might be electing Conservatives. And of course, from their point of view, that would be a terrible thing. So that's the politics of this. As for a bigger picture on this, I think that most people don't believe that in Canada, at least, long guns, that is rifles, shotguns, uh, are the big problem. The big problem are semi-automatic 9mm pistols, which are being used right. everywhere. Uh, and the idea of giving the cities that choice is really up to the premiers, not up to the federal government. And the conservative premier of Ontario, Mr. Ford, has already said if the federal government tells him to, they want to get these uh, handguns banned or whatever, he's going to say no. He's already said he'll say no. Uh, well, then, now, what do you make of this? A, the politics, channel changer or not in the substance? So the politics, I'm, I'm basically viewing it as a channel changer. I'm, I would ask Mr. Blair why exactly now. I mean, I know they've been working on it for a year, but the timing seems a little bit opportunistic, in my opinion. We've had a spate of gun shootings last summer in Toronto in 2018. This year, it was also pretty bad. And so its timing is a little bit, you know, interesting to me. But what I will say is that I have no problem with banning semi-automatic, like the policy itself. The initiative is good. There's no reason why we should have military-style weapons on our streets, for sure. However, I would say with that, there needs to be an investment in the root cause of this problem. And the root cause of this problem is disenfranchised youth, people feeling like, you know, they have no real 
kind of grounding in the city. They have nothing to do in their past time to a certain extent. And if you talk to activists in Toronto, where we've seen a lot of shootings in 2019 in the summer, they would say funding for these programs has been systematically reduced over the last few years. So if you want to put that policy in, great, but simultaneously right. attack the root cause of the problem. Uh, Rich Madden, you've seen this in the United States. In 1994, it was Bill yeah. Clinton trying try to ban it. There, some of the big problems was what classified as a military-style weapon. What do you make of this? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be tricky for the Liberal government to really define what exactly is a military-style weapon. Uh, I also really question uh, and have identified when uh, Justin Trudeau tries to paint in his messaging when he says that the Conservatives are in the pockets of the gun lobby, essentially trying to paint Conservatives to being friends of the NRA uh, south of the border. I thought that was kind of a cheap shot. We know that corporate donations are banned in Canada. Uh, lobby groups do not have the power in this country as they do in the United States. Uh, and to really, it, it, by saying these things, really divides people. Gun control measures might be more popular in the cities than in the rural parts of the country. So I agree on all the analysis. It was a bit of a channel changer. Uh, but trying to suggest that the Conservatives are in the pockets of the gun lobby in Canada, the, I found quite laughable. The Liberals failed on handguns, semi-automatic handguns, and they didn't fail on threatening to take away my uncle's old 9-millimeter right. Mossberg or Remington rifle. Uh, let me bring in Bill Blair. So you guys, we know gun crimes on the rise, so I want you to respond to some of this, but I'm just looking at most of the crimes were committed with handguns, as Craig just said, 143 handgun-related homicides uh, compared to two with military-style assault weapons. So it does raise the question, uh, the stats say you should be banning trying to go after handguns, not leaving it up to municipalities, but you're making a big thing about military-style weapons. I guess the question is why. Yeah, first of all, look at the entire policy that we brought forward. I think it's important. And, we, and what we've said is we have looked at all the ways in which handguns get in the hands of people that would commit crimes with them, and we're plugging those leaks. We're, we're making significant new investments and, and doing work at the border to keep the guns out of the country. We know a lot of them are being stolen, and we know a lot of them are, are as a result of straw purchase. Somebody buys them legally and sells them illegally, and we're taking significant measures. With respect to, to the conservative policy, you've got to actually look at what they've said. They said they want to normalize the AR-15, which is the rifle that was used in the massacre at, at Christchurch and killed a bunch of little kids at Sandy Hook. They, 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 they have also mimicked in the lines of, of the gun lobby. Mr. Shears promised to make larger capacity magazines available and to, and to overturn Bill C-71, which, which brought in new enhanced background checks. And so, quite frankly, I, I think the influence of the gun lobby on Mr. Shears' policies is very, very clear and very concerning. With respect to the comment that was made, by the way, about making investments in communities, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I've worked in some of those poorest neighborhoods, and I've overseen most of the large gang investigations that have been conducted in this country. I know, I know what it takes to deal with those gang and, and the criminal violence, but you, we've right. got to work in communities. We've got to make investments in kids and in those communities to change the circumstances that give rise to that violence in the first place, and, right. and, I, and I promise you that's coming. All right, well, there's a lot. Look, this debate is just kicking off. The question is, does the gun debate now take on a central role in the campaign or as, and then change the channel, or like many other real policy issues that have come up, 
they rise and they fall. We'll watch, but I got to leave it there today. Gosh, there's so much to get through. Bill Blair, I appreciate you joining us today as our special guest. Ben Mala, Richard, and Craig, always great to see you here, and thanks to all of you for watching. Of course, it's a busy campaign. Stay with CTV News. We'll give you all the details you need to know every day on this campaign, and we will be back here in seven, well, fast days. Thanks for watching.